0: Thank you for your promises, Lord. Uh, You tell us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Uh, And we just believe that, Lord. We believe that we don't have to be scared of death anymore. Uh, Through Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, uh, we are saved from death. We have no fear of death anymore. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for your words that they're true. Your promises are true that we can hold to. Um, just bless our time. Convict us where we need convicting, Lord. Build us up where we need building up. And uh, we just offer the rest of this time to you. Amen. Amen. So 2 Samuel 7. Um, 2 Samuel 7 is sort of the, really the lead chapter in the book of 2 Samuel, I'm going to say. We got a really good chapter this week. It is almost like the pinnacle of the book of Samuel like we know first and second Samuel originally would have been kind of one book and and second Samuel chapter 7 here is kind of like the pinnacle of David's life that we get to see here and and everything in David's past sort of leads up to this moment and kind of everything in the future we're going to read about almost looks back to this moment right here in chapter 7 in fact you could even say the whole rest of the bible Uh, looks back to this moment right here. The whole rest of the Bible is remembered with this chapter, chapter 7, right here in mind. So we're in for a treat this morning. The whole Old Testament prophecy regarding the coming Messiah that's about to come, Jesus Christ, it's woven right through 2 Samuel 7 here this morning. The the title of, of 2 Samuel 7, which you might have if you look at the top, mine says, The Lord's covenant with David. And so this is one of five major covenants uh, that we have in the Bible that God makes with his people. And we're just going to run through what the five major ones are quickly. The first you have is the, this is a hard one to say, Noahic. Yes, I YouTubed how to say this. Noahic covenant. In the book of Genesis, um, after Noah and his family, they come out of the ark, Noah sits down, he offers the burnt offering up to the Lord, and, and God responds in this way. In Genesis chapter eight, he says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's the Noahic covenant. The second major covenant we have is the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, later in the book of Genesis, God picks Abraham to form a covenant with. He says that his offspring will be greater than the stars in the heavens, the heavens. And then the third thing we have is the Mosaic covenant. Moses, also known as the law. Uh, We know the people of Israel, they were led out of Egypt. They came to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments and a whole host of other laws that the people of Israel were to follow. And God says this, basically, if you follow these stipulations, then blessing will come, and if you don't, then curses will come. So that's the third one, the Mosaic Covenant. The fourth major covenant we're going to look at, oh, look at that, Davidic Covenant, God forms a covenant with David telling David that he will establish the throne of God for throne of David forever and his house and his kingdom will be made sure forever. And then the fifth major covenant that we have in the Bible is the new covenant. And this is the covenant life that we live in right now. It's it's when God makes an everlasting covenant with his people, he puts the law on their hearts complete forgiveness of sins, and we have complete access to God through the helping power of the Holy Spirit, all thanks to who? Jesus nailed it. You guys are good. And so today we're going to look at the fourth uh, major covenant, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7 here, and we're going to see how the Davidic covenant is just crucially important to the not not only everything, but especially to the new covenant that we now live in. And so this this text we're going to look at here, it's a major stepping stone of prophecy that is vitally, vitally important to the narrative of the Bible and leading to Jesus Christ. Did I make that clear enough how important this is today, that we need to keep our eyes awake? This is very amazing text. I don't know if you watched my video yesterday uh, that comes out every Saturday. This isn't just, oh, cool, another chapter set. This this doesn't just come after chapter 6. This is very important text. Chapter 7, in terms of the Bible, let's get into it. Verse 1 to 3 of chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So if you remember last week in chapter 6, uh, a lot of what we talked about was the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem. Uh, it's brought in from Obed-Edom's house. And so David brings the Ark in. He sets it in place in Jerusalem. He sets it in the tent that David had pitched for the Ark. And there's great rejoicing and there's praise going on. And it's an awesome time for David and the and the people of Israel. And so here in chapter 7, we have David looking out of his house of cedar, which we can probably imagine is a gorgeous house, nice big house, probably lots of windows. He's probably sitting, you know, with the French doors open. Maybe he's got the blinds pulled. It's probably his doors, probably the doors that have the blinds built in. And with the remote control, you can raise and lower the blinds. Like David's got the nice, nice blinds. And it's the good stuff. It's not just cheap, cheap uh Cheap stuff he's got going on in his house. He's living the life of luxury. And he looks out and he looks down on on the city of Jerusalem and he sees this tent that the Ark of God is in. And he says, ah, this doesn't really add up. I'm in this big, nice house. God's in a tent. Something doesn't add up here. So David says, I'm going to build him a permanent house. I want to build God a permanent house to dwell in because God deserves much more than I have, which... Makes sense. So Nathan responds and says, yeah, go for it. Sounds good. And now Nathan hadn't talked to God about this, but it makes sense, right? Like in the past, we've seen God is with David and this seems like a good thing. So Nathan says, yeah, go ahead. That seems reasonable to me. And I'd say the same thing. But God has different plans and comes to Nathan that night. Look at verse 4. 2nd Samuel it says but that same night the word of the lord came to nathan go and tell my servant david thus says the lord would you build me a house to dwell in i have not lived in a house since the day i brought up the people of israel from egypt to this day but i've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where i have moved with all the people of israel did i speak a word with any of the judges of israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so God here almost seems a little surprised, right? He seems almost like, oh, well, I haven't lived in a permanent house since the day I brought the people out of Egypt about 300 years ago, and until now I've been moving with the people. And God says, not only have I been living for a tent this whole time, but I haven't asked anyone, any of the judges or any of the prophets, to make me a house, so kind of weird. Why would you ask me this, David? And he almost seems surprised. God almost seems surprised here when you read it at first. And it almost makes you think like, oh, maybe he's not very happy with David or something. But because we're diligent Bible readers, we know actually that that God isn't upset here. Uh, Later in 1 Kings, if we read ahead, 1 Kings, uh, when Solomon, who's David's son, he's talking, Solomon, and he says this. He says, but the Lord said to David, my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. So God sees this as a good thing. It seems a little surprising uh, at first when you read it that he would respond that way, but God sees this as a good thing. And so God goes on in 2 Samuel through the prophet Nathan, and he's gonna say this to David. He's gonna say, rather than you build me a house, David, I'm actually gonna do something for you. So look at verse eight. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Stop right there. Don't finish nine yet. So let's look at this first. First, God outlines uh, three things that he's done for David. He says this. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, and I made you prince over the people of Israel. I made you king over Israel. And then he says this, he says, I've been with you wherever you went. And he says, I've cut off all of your enemies before you. So first God reminds David of the things that he's done for him. And then he goes on in nine and he says, these are the things I've done for you. Now these are the things I'm gonna do for you. Look at verse nine again, nine to 11. It says, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name So God says he'll do these things for him. He says, I will make you a great name. I will appoint a place for my people. I will give you rest from all your enemies. You wanted to make me a house, David? Well, guess what? I will make you a house. And the type of house that God's going to build here isn't just going to be any old house that David had planned on building. It's going to be far better and far bigger than any house that David had intended And in God's case here, though, we aren't talking about a physical, literal house. God's talking about a metaphorical house, a dynasty that will be formed through David. And this isn't the first time we've seen this. I'm not just making this up. This isn't like out of the blue. Go back with me uh, to the book of Genesis. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. hope you have your Bibles on you because you need your Bibles today and tomorrow and the next day. Go back to Genesis 49. Genesis chapter 49. Uh, If you remember Jacob, you guys remember guy Jacob? He wrestled with the Lord. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and he had his name changed to Israel. Pretty important guy. Genesis chapter 49. Israel's on his deathbed, and his 12 sons gather around him, and it's kind of like the last thing Israel kind of says to his sons, he does a blessing and a prophecy, goes down the line of each of the sons and gives each of them a blessing and a prophecy. And so in Genesis chapter 49, uh, look at verse 10. Genesis 49 verse 10 says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So the scepter Being a king's staff. It won't depart from Judah, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, we get to cheat a little bit because we get to, uh, you know, read ahead. We have the pleasure of having the whole Bible in front of us. And so, who's this prophecy talking about here in Genesis? You guys said it before Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy here in Genesis chapter 49. We know that in the book of revelation jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of judah and this prophecy here in chapter 49 it winds through the bible and the thread the scarlet thread that winds through the bible of this prophecy brings us right through what we're reading about today and something interesting is that who did uh, israel prophesy this over what tribe tribe of judah and david comes from what tribe Judah. So the covenant with David here, go back to 2 Samuel, this covenant with David ties together not only past prophecy and future prophecy, the weave of scarlet thread passes right through this covenant with God that we're in right now. And this covenant that God makes with David has future ramifications uh, up until the time of Jesus in the New Testament and even beyond into the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns. It's pretty awesome, if I haven't made that clear. This is an important text. <laughs> so let's keep looking at what the building of this house will look like from God. God says, I'm going to build you a house. Well, let's look at what this house building looks like. In, chapter, in uh, chapter 7, verse 12, goes on. Through Nathan, God says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity. I will discipline him with the rod of men. With the stripes of the sons of men. Verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul. Whom I put away before you. So this text here a little bit is an example of parallel prophecy. And parallel prophecy is very important um, as you read your Bible. Parallel prophecy is prophecy that's fulfilled in the immediate future, but also prophecy that's fulfilled in the future future, as we might say. And so there's many situations in the Bible where parallel prophecy Occurs And you need to be aware of that, especially as we continue reading our Bible in 90 days, as we get into Jeremiah, as we get into Daniel uh, and the minor prophets. There's a lot of instances of parallel prophecy. And anytime the Bible makes you go, huh, it's kind of odd. It doesn't make sense. Well, that should be a cue to you to take a stop and to just ponder on it. And so in David's case here, the immediate fulfillment is David's son, Solomon. God says, what does God say he'll do? He says he'll raise up an offspring who will build a house for the Lord, which we know Solomon does because we're diligent Bible readers. And it says that when he commits iniquity, he'll be chastened by men, but his love won't leave Solomon like it was taken from Saul, which we know happens. And so that lines up with what we know happens in the book of of 1 Kings, but there's some things that don't quite seem to add up and it makes you go, huh, well, what does that mean? Like at the end of 13, it says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, we know that isn't true. We know that doesn't happen because about 400 years from this point, Babylon comes and and routes Judah and takes away the people of Judah to Babylon and never again is there a king of David on the throne anymore. Though David's line doesn't die out, his genealogy doesn't die out, but his throne isn't established forever. We know in Isaiah 11 that there's a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Or, or in the book of Matthew, it actually starts with the genealogy of David all the way down. So we know the line doesn't die out of David, but there's not a, a descendant of David sitting on the throne forever. This doesn't just makes you go, huh kind of odd. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, "And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. Well, this doesn't make sense either, does it really? Well, the you know, this prophecy isn't fulfilled through David. It's not fulfilled through his Son, but, but as we follow the scarlet thread through the Bible from one to another, we know who this is fulfilled through, don't we? Say it with me, Jesus. Jesus Christ. This won't be on the screen, so you've got to go there with your Bible. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31. I think this one will come up on screen. It says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And ye shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, this covenant with David is partially fulfilled through Solomon, David's son, but it's fully fulfilled through another son, Jesus 12 times in the New Testament Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Turn in your Bibles to the very first sentence of the New Testament. Very first sentence of the New Testament. Book of Matthew it says this Matthew 1:1 The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham. And you can read through there and it'll go through the whole genealogy from David all the way down to Jesus. Keep going in the book of Matthew to Matthew 21. Turn with me to Matthew 21 verse nine. As Jesus, this is the triumphal entry. We all know this. He's riding in on the donkey. Look at what it says, Matthew 21 verse nine. It says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Listen, David says. Listen, David. God says through Nathan. He says, I know you want to build a house for me. But instead, David, actually, I'm going to build a house for you. And through that house, I'm going to have my son Jesus come and form a new covenant with the world. A covenant that washes the people's sin as white as snow. A covenant that grafts in the Gentiles to the family of God. A covenant that allows free access to the glory of God. God says, you know, my people won't need to go through a priest. There will be a veil torn and I will dwell with my people. There'll be a covenant that's founded upon the steadfast love of the Lord and it will not be changed. There's a covenant that through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, death does not have to be feared anymore. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the one who comes in the name of the Lord is the one who forms a new covenant with his people, allowing you, allowing me to experience the full grace and love that God has for us. And so this piece of text, as you're back in 2 Samuel, is vitally important to the narrative of the unified story that leads us to Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior. See, through this covenant in 2 Samuel, the past prophecy must pass through this choke point. This is almost like a choke point in the prophecy of Jesus Christ. It has, your past prophecies have to come through this point in 2 Samuel to continue on to the ultimate one to come, Jesus And so what do we do with this then, I guess you might be saying? (laughs) How are we to react to this covenant that God has formed with his people? Well, a great way to start is to respond in the same way that David responds to the covenant that God formed with him. The second half of chapter 7 is is titled, David's Prayer of Gratitude. There's nothing else that David can do other than simply be humbled before God and offer a prayer of gratitude and thanks. Eight times in the words spoken to God, spoken to David through Nathan, God used the words, "I will." There was nothing that David could do here to influence anything from God, not by working harder, not by saying or doing the right thing, not by making enough money. There was nothing required of David here for the covenant to be honored. And 10 times in this prayer that we're gonna look at, David refers to himself as a servant. And so as he goes through this prayer, he breaks it up into three parts that we're gonna look at. First thing he does is he thinks about the present. He prays about the present. Let's look at it. Verse 18 to 21, when David prays in response to this covenant, he, he reflects on the present. He says this, then King David went in And sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. So David says, who am I that this should happen to me? Because David, if you remember, he was just a young boy in the shepherd's field. Uh, He was the youngest of all his brothers. They actually almost forgot about him, kind of, when Samuel came to appoint a new king. He'd gone through everyone, and he's like, is there anyone else? And they're like, yeah, there's our young brother out there tending to the sheep, but he's... You know, he's nothing. And now look at, God's made him king over Israel. And why has all this happened? Look at verse 21. Because of your promise and your heart, you've brought about this greatness, David declares. So, so David prays about the present and he says, I can't believe that you've made me king. And then David reflects on the past in verse 22 to 24. He says, therefore you are great, O Lord God. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became your God. You are great, O Lord God, David says. There's none like you. There's no God besides you. So David reminisces on the redemption of the people of Israel from Egypt and how God established the people of Israel forever. And then finally in David's prayer, he prays about the future to come. Verse 25 to 29. He says, Now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant will, David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that you may continue, so that it may continue forever before you, for you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed. Forever. So the final prayer that David has of the future is quite a bold prayer, actually. Look at verse 25 again. It says, "Confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken." This isn't a passive prayer that David prays. Uh, you know, he doesn't say, "Oh God, just do whatever you want." Or, but it's also not an arrogant prayer where he says, "Let me tell you how it's going to be done, here, buddy." No, this is a prayer of bold trust in the Lord. David says, God, you said you're gonna do this. Now I trust that you are going to do it and I trust that your word is faithful. Spurgeon um, has a bit of a metaphor quote on this that I'm just gonna paraphrase a bit because he says it in very old English and it doesn't make sense to us these days. So I'm just gonna paraphrase it a little bit. He said something like this regarding God's promises. He says, if I have a Canadian bill in my pocket, take your pick, let's say 100 because we all want to have $100 bills in our pocket, it's a promise for a certain amount of money. And I take that money, I take that bill, and I use it with the assumption that it will do what it says it will do. I don't keep it in my pocket and just hope that it'll work. Money is made to be used, and in the same way, God gives promises to be used. God doesn't give promises so that you can hide them in your pocket. And when the promises of God are utilized, it brings glory to God. It isn't arrogant to use the promises of God. And you can be sure that the promises of God will happen, because God isn't one that should lie or change his mind. Look at verse 28. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. The Lord's covenant with David, Second Samuel chapter 7. And so we started this chapter with a desire from David to build a temple for the house of the Lord, which was a good thing for him to desire, like we saw. But instead, God flipped that upside down and instead promised to build a house for David. Not a physical house, but an eternal house through a covenant that would lead to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who would usher in a new covenant with his people. With me, with you. A covenant not based on the Mosaic law, but one based on the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ who came to fulfill the law. And so we find out later in the book of Chronicles the book of Chronicles, I should have YouTubed how to say that one, exactly why David wasn't allowed uh, to build the temple. In chapter 22, David's talking to Solomon, his son, and he says this in verse six to 10. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So David was a man of war, bloodshed, like we've been seeing for the past six months here. But his son was a man of rest and of peace. Uh, But you know what's amazing is that though David was told he wasn't going to build the temple like he wanted to. That didn't stop him from preparing as much as he could for his son Solomon. It says uh, just earlier in 1 Chronicles, actually, that before David dies, he had stone cutters preparing stones. He had iron nails and bronze in quantities beyond measure. He had cedar timbers cut and prepared that were beyond number and other materials in great quantity prepared before his death so that David could contribute to the construction of the temple. And let me ask you this, did you know that God is still in the house building business today? We've seen from the past that we don't like his, he doesn't like his lead carpenters to be men of war and blood. That's why he used Solomon, a man of peace, and that's why Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. Remember Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See God is still building and he's still in the construction business today and he's using Jesus to work on his kingdom and he's doing work on his own temple and that is I'm looking at him right now. Look at 1st Peter. It says as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, you are the temple of God. You are the living stones being built into a spiritual house for the Lord through the work of Jesus Christ. You are a living temple being built up through Jesus Christ, for God to dwell in. And what's our appropriate response? Well, our appropriate response is that of David. Praise, honor, a stance of gratitude as a servant of the king, knowing there's nothing that I can do to change his covenant. There's nothing I can do to make this covenant happen or not happen. But friends, that's not to say we get lazy, right? What did David do when he, told, he was told he wasn't gonna be Building the temple. He didn't just sit back and turn on the big screen, the 60-incher, high definition. No, he got to work. He saw an opportunity to be a part of the work of God, and he wanted to do anything that he could to be on God's construction team. So the Lord's covenant with David here, 2 Samuel chapter 7, of a very important vertebrae in the, in the backbone, the skeleton of the entire story leading to Jesus. The red thread of Jesus weaves itself directly through this chapter right here. God makes to David a promise, a promise to establish the throne of his kingdom forever, a promise that we, only know, we know is only fulfilled through one man, through Jesus Christ, the son of David who came and interceded for you and for me to form a new covenant with God one based on grace, based on love, based on unconditional mercy. And the only thing that you have to do, the only thing I have to do is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And that's an amazing promise that I personally have cashed in. I'm not keeping it in my pocket one of the just uncountable amounts of promises that God has made in his word. Friends, God is a kingdom builder even to this day and his kingdom is being built. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and even the gates of hell will not overcome it. His church is being built. Do you wanna be a part of it or do you wanna be a slacker? One of those guys that you always see, seems like every five minutes he's taking a smoke break. I don't wanna be one of those. Take hold of the promises of God. Use them. As the worship team comes up to lead us in one final song, um, I just want to encourage you with this. The word of God says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray for the laborers. And that's what we're praying for. This covenant, there's a new covenant that's been formed. And through Jesus, there's nothing we can do. But that doesn't mean we get lazy, it doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. Amen. Hey, will you guys stand with us as we pray and and sing one more song to end it? Lord, uh, thank you for your covenant. Thank you for the uh, prophecy that we see weave itself through the Bible, Lord. What an amazing thing is that thousands of years before uh, your son was even born, your prophecy was spoken and came true. Thank you for your covenant, Lord, that uh, you're not one to break your covenants, Lord, that we can cling to those promises that you've made for us uh, and that they are true. And that through your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and raising again three days later, we don't have to be scared of death anymore. We don't have to be scared of sin. We just praise your name for who you are, Lord. And we thank you for that. And Lord, just help me not be lazy this week. I want to be a productive labor worker for your kingdom as you build your church, Lord. Uh, Help me be a part of that, Lord. Chasten me where I need to be chastened, Lord. Uh, Rebuke me where I need to be rebuked, Lord, and build me up where I need to be built up. Uh, We just thank you for that, Father. Just bless this week as we go into this week. Amen.